0: the mini break. Your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results and controversies from the tennis world today is Wednesday, April 21st. What do we do as tennis fans when there's simply too much tennis for us to consume happening at any given moment across the tennis world? That was the conundrum we all faced on Tuesday as there was so much fantastic play happening. Here was the scene at about 3.30 p.m. Eastern time here on the East Coast of the United States. You had Karen Hatchnov and Cam Norrie, Ty Kwiatkowski and Mitchell Kruger, and Bjorn Fertangelo and Ivo Karlovic all playing third sets simultaneously. Meanwhile, Sabalenka and Shue Zhang were just getting underway in Stuttgart, alias Bedene was serving for the first set against Sebastian Corda. All of those matches, plus more, happening at the same moment, and that was towards the end of a jam-packed, chaotic, and fantastic Tuesday in the professional tennis world. What we're going to be doing on today's podcast, as we always do, is break down all of the action we saw unfold. In particular, we're going to focus on... On the four ATP and WTA level events happening in Stuttgart uh, for the 500 level for the women, Istanbul is the 250 for the men, the 500s in Barcelona, the 250s in Belgrade. I also want to talk a little bit about the ATP challenger action because I referred to those Tallahassee matches. I think there were 11 matches in Tallahassee on Tuesday, 9 of the 11, or all but 2, maybe it was only 10 or 9, but all but 2 of the matches ended up going 3 sets, was a fantastic First day of green clay tennis down in Tallahassee, and making it all that much better was the fact we had Mike Cation, of course, on the call. So, want to talk a little bit about not just the challenger action in Tallahassee, but the action happening elsewhere across the tennis world. Of course, the reason we're able to recap everything day in, day out here on the Mini Break Podcast, talk to all of you listeners, and keep you up to date on everything happening in the tennis world is because of the support we get from all of you fantastic listeners. From 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 our Crack Rackets Patreon family and, of course, from our friends at Midwest Sports. You guys know the deal and we are so grateful that so many of you are turning to Midwest Sports to update all of your equipment. Get the best gears at the best prices. I'm sure you're sick of me saying that. I'm not Bernie Madoff. I'm not selling you a Ponzi scheme. I promise you I wouldn't... Promote Midwest Sports, if I wasn't so confident they could help you find exactly what you need to accentuate the finer features of your tennis game, you go to MidwestSports.com, use our promo code CR15, not only will you you let them know we sent you there, you'll also get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, and of course, 15% off your order. Notice how I changed up the order today, wanted to keep all of you listeners on your feet. Of course, all of you. Listeners can have new shoes on your feet, new rackets, new strings, whatever you may need by turning to our friends at MidwestSports.com. Again, the promo code there to let them know we sent you is CR15. With that in mind, let's talk about Tuesday's action. What a fantastic day of tennis we were treated to. Let's start on the women's side. We'll kick things off by talking about the 500 in Stuttgart was a fairly stable day of matches. You had six played on the day, only two of the six going three sets. And by the way, shout out to my friend Jeff Sackman. I wanted to text him to find out some numbers. Just an interesting tidbit, my fun fact to start off today's podcast because... As some of you listeners know, we tend to venture into the gambling side from time to time here at Cracked Rackets. I happen to write a piece for our website, crackedrackets.com, with my picks for Wednesday's matches. Now, some of those matches will have already played by the time you are hearing this podcast, but we released that article uh, late last night, and hopefully, or not late last night, about 6 p.m. last night, 7 p.m. So hopefully all of you were able to read it. If not, even if you're not able to wager on the picks, I think you might enjoy the analysis of some of Wednesday's matches. Anyways, I wanted to know from Jeff Sackman what percentage of matches have gone over two and a half sets or gone the distance uh, over these past few seasons in the men's and women's game respectively. I didn't know quite how to find that stat on my own, but shout out to Jeff as always who was able to run those numbers. Here's what they are. In the men's game, we'll start there. Since 2017 in 2017 62% of matches ended up going the dis- uh ended up being decided in straight sets so uh again i'll do the reverse here i'll tell you the percentage that went the distance it was 38% in 2018 39% per- uh, 2017 39% in 2018 30 uh let's see do some math here 6% in 2019 37% in 2020. Now 36% here to kick things off in 2021. That's fairly stable. About 36% of matches go three sets. On the women's side, also fairly stable. It was 35, 33, 35, 34, 33% respectfully over these past five seasons. So again, that number right around that 34 mark on average I feel like that's a little low. I feel like I'm seeing more three-set matches, although we see today on the women's side in Stuttgart about a third of the matches went three sets. The numbers don't lie. So I thought that was a nice, interesting tidbit. Thought all of you listeners might enjoy that stat. Shout out, as always, to Jeff Sackman, the team at Tennis Abstract, a godsend to all of us tennis fans, to anyone who tries to cover the sport closely. Uh, But just a fun stat to kick things off with that in mind. Let's actually dive into Stuttgart now. Want to start with one of the three set matches we saw on the day. It featured a couple of top 40 players and it featured a fantastic level of tennis. You look Katerina Alexandrova, a 4-6, 6-2, 6-3 victory in her round of 32 match in Stuttgart over Karolina Mukova. Let's start with the positives, and I'm trying to do that more now because it's so easy to talk about what you think someone did wrong, but so often in these matches, it does come down to what the player who wins did right, and on this day, Ekaterina Alexandrova did such an exceptional job of protecting her serve throughout the course of this match. You look, again, Alexandrova drops the first set 6-4, 6-2, 6-3 the next two sets in the first set. She made only 49% of her first serve. She was uh, 18, excuse me, of 35, so just over 50% for service points in the first set, but... That was her worst serving performance of the match by set. You look for her in set number two, made 65% of her first serves, won 77% of those first serve points, was able to play first strike tennis. She wasn't broken in that second set. Wasn't broken in the third set either, save five of the, uh, all five of the break points she faced in set two and three. You look for her in total, was 25 of 40 on service points in set number two, was 24 of 33 for a very efficient 73% mark in set number three. That was the key in this match. Katerina Alexandrova's ability to play first strike tennis, to be the aggressor, to have Mukova on her back foot it's what allowed her to win this match and you look for a Katarina alexandrova who enters the week ranked number 34 that's 9 off of her career high which she reached at the start of last season coming off of the back of a title in shenzhen uh you know clay courts she struggled uh, she struggled on clay courts there was a little yoga clay courts she struggled on. Uh, She struggled on clay courts throughout the duration of her career. You look for her in total uh, 13 and 27. That's a 33% win percentage in tour level clay court matches in her career. You want to expand that to just across levels. She is 88 and 69. So she had had clay prior to the WTA level, but you look for her numbers in WTA level matches clay courts compared to hard courts. Uh, Her serve, significantly drops off in its effectiveness. She goes from winning about 70% of her first serve points on hard courts to about 65% on clay, 44% second serve to 40%. She only wins or she drops about a point and a half in effectiveness on her return of serve as well. But you got to keep in mind, for Alexandrova, who turns 27 later this season, it was a later development curve for her. It was a, I should say, extended uh, development curve for her game, for her to break through the top 40 of the WTA rankings compared to some of the young stars we see ascending in the game right now. It really wasn't until that 2019 season for Alexandrova that she was able to break through at the tour level. You look, 2018, she went 14-17 and overall, 2019. She goes 42 and 27, 2020, obviously a pandemic shortened year, but 18 and 12. So the past two seasons, she's won about 60% of her tour level matches. That's the clip you have to hit to be a top 40 player consistently. And you look for Alexandrova, I mentioned uh, the numbers for her on clay in her career, uh, how she is, I believe I mentioned in tour level matches in her career on clay. She's 13 and 27, but since the start of that 2019 season. She's a much more respectable 8-12, and, and you have to keep in mind, she lost her first five matches of 2019 on clay. Uh, three of the five came in qualifying matches. The other two came first round losses to Kuznetsova and Jill Teichman. Since that moment, you count out those five losses, she's 8-7. and seven. She's played 500 ball on clay courts, and now obviously she's got a chance to earn Probably her biggest win, not probably, definitely her biggest win in that time span over Belinda Benchich tomorrow. But for her today against Mukova, I mean, you look for her totals in the match. She was able to win about 71% of her first serve points, 51% of her second serve points. She saved seven of the nine break points she faced. That's because when Ekaterina Alexandrova is able to play first strike tennis, she looks really, really good. Now, it's a flatter game style than some of the other more dynamic ball strikers you see rising, the big hitters in the women's game. Again, a Clara Tawson forehand, a Jennifer Brady forehand, an Arena Sabalenka forehand, more dynamic, more topspin base. They also rip through the court. Alexandrova, more of a low, flat hitter, but... She can absolutely drive through the court. She's actually much better at creating angle for someone who hits the ball so flat than you would uh, expect, and she moves really well on these clay courts. She was fluid moving in and out of the outer thirds of the court. She was dynamic when she was hitting in those outer thirds, hitting on the run as well. She won a couple of cross-court forehand-backhand exchanges with Mukavan, was very good at changing direction, being the one to take the ball early down the line. Now, I haven't talked about Karolina Mukova much, who made 65% of her first serves, won 66% of those points, you know, uh, created nine break chances for herself, which is the same as the nine break points she faced. But, you know, Mukova doesn't have quite as much pop as Alexandrova. And I will say for Karolina Mukova, very dynamic game. She can do a little bit of everything. She also looked comfortable moving on the surface. The 24-year-old, who of course was a semifinalist at this year's Australian Open, playing her first match since Australia. So you can understand, you know, it took her, well, that she won the first set was impressive, but that, you know, she's still going to need some time to find her footing here early in this clay court season. But, you know, she did a really good job of keeping the ball in the outer thirds, not letting Alexandrova set in the center of the court because whenever Alexandrova had a clean look at a ball, she took control of the point and more I would say she won. Anytime she had a, a clean look in the center of the court, she would win 85% of those points. That's an unofficial Alex stat for you, but you know Alexandrova, uh, excuse me, Mukova did a really good job of keeping balls in the outer third of mixing in slice and playing short angles and just getting Alexandrova in uncomfortable positions, attacking the Alexandrova second serve. But it's a credit to Ekaterina Alexandrova, who had the bigger weapons and was also disciplined enough and consistent enough to win this match, to get through in three sets. Again, to not get broken in the final two sets on a clay court, that's awfully impressive for Alexandrova, who uh, now, again, advances and will face Belinda Bencic here. Here in the Stuttgart round of 16. Uh, for Alexandrova, uh, as I mentioned, you look at her most recent results on clay. 2020, she lost to Faro. Uh, she lost to Serenko. She lost to Rabakina. She lost to Sinyakova. She made the third round of Roland Garros before losing to Svitolina. Now the win over Mukova. Things trending in the right direction, as I mentioned, 8-7 and seven since losing her first five clay court matches of 2019. She's a top 40 player, just pretty unequivocally. You look for Alexandrova now in her last 52 weeks, so since the tour resumed in August. She's 19-16, and 16, has made semifinals in Linz, uh, made a semifinal in the warm-up event for the Australian Open, a quarterfinalist in St. Petersburg. You know, I'm looking for her in terms of first-round losses since the tour resumed. She only has three, oh no, four, five, okay, five first-round losses in the 16 events she's played. If you're winning a match, at least two-thirds of the events you're playing, you're staying in the top 50. So to anyone who is wondering if it's a fluke, it's not. She's going to be in the top 50 for a pretty long time now. I mean 27 years old uh, again in November, uh, so still only 26 uh, throughout the majority of this season. Yeah, I, I'm in on Ekaterina Alexandrova. It's definitely a flatter game style, but uh, her pop just can hit opponents off the court. She's a good mover as well. Great victory for her to kick off her Stuttgart campaign, kick off her clay court campaign over Karolina Mukova. That's one of the matches I wanted to break down. The other one I want to talk about quickly uh, was a straight set match, but absolutely delightful between Petra Kvitova and Jennifer Brady Kvitova, a 6-4, 6-3 victory to kick off her clay court campaign. I mean, in this match, there were two breaks of serves in total. One per set for Petra Kvitova. You look both of these players so successful, and we talk about it all the time, the name of the game in clay court tennis is first strike tennis because it's so difficult to play on your back foot. Of course, neither Jennifer Brady nor Petra Kvitova known for their defensive skills. They're obviously known as aggressive players, and this match featured some fantastic first strike uh, tennis. Kvitova's ability on the ad side to hit that lefty slice wide then just have so much open court to hit her forehand too. She won 74% of her first serve points, was 46 of 67 overall on the day, so won 69% of her serving points in general. You know, the biggest difference is that she won 57% of her second serve points. Jennifer Brady only won 42% of her second serve points. You look Kvitova also made 69% of her first serves. Brady made 60%. I know that sounds like thin margins, but that was legitimately the difference. There were 12 total points uh in total deciding difference between Kvitova and Brady it was two breaks of serves. It was, you know, a 72 total points to 60 total points sort of match and you know, credit to Jennifer Brady. Who didn't back down, who faced, I think, two match points down 2-5, and the second of which was an add-out. They played this fantastic, I would say, longest rally of the match that ends with Jennifer Brady actually showing off her uh, athleticism, showing off her movement skills. She can play defense, she's just much better when she's on her front foot, and withstanding the first strike of Kvitova, getting Kvitova stretched. I know Jennifer Brady, you know, lost the 9-7 match to Clara Tauson last year at the French Open, now loses this one 3-4, and four. but if she rips off a round of 16 because the draw breaks right for her at the French Open. I don't think that's going to surprise anyone considering she's a semifinalist and finalist at the last two hardcourt slams. But for Jen Brady today, again, her kick serve, her plus one forehand, her backhand when you have open space, her ability to go cross court or down the line. She's the real deal, folks. Petra Kvitova, though, here's some numbers for her on clay court since the 2019 season. She's 15-4 overall. I continue to just be surprised every time I remember she made the semifinals of last year's French Open. The draw did break very well for her. Her best win in the lead-up to the semis, probably over Layla Fernandez in the third round. She didn't face a single seed before being knocked out by Sonia Kennan in the semifinals, but... Won the title in Stuttgart in 2019, wins over Conteve, Burtons, and Sevastova. Made quarterfinal in Madrid that year, lost to Burtons, lost to Sakari in a third set in Rome, and then, uh, you know, did not play Roland Garros that year, but then plays Roland Garros last year, where she was a semifinalist. I forgot that she played Charleston and lost to Kavinic although most everyone lost to Danka Kavinic in Charleston. So, uh, you know, for Kvitova now, you know, that's green clay, this is the red clay her weapons just transcend surface and when she's hitting through the court you're on your back foot and that's what Jennifer Brady was in the Kvitova service game. She did such a good job protecting her serve in this match. Again, and there's not much more to say behind beyond that. She does a great job absorbing the heavy topspin that Brady's forehand produces uh, and does a great job of absorbing it with her backhand, redirecting that pace uh, both down the line and cross court. Again, her forehand is as good of a forehand as you're going to find in the women's game. Petra Kvitova looked phenomenal today. Hopefully it is one of those weeks where she can just rip off a run You look via Tennis Abstract's ELO rating. Oh, you guys thought I wasn't going to mention ELO rating today? The fact that we didn't until the 1840 mark of this podcast, or at least on my mark, that's pre-commercials being inserted. That might be the over for podcasts in the past three months, but you look for Petra Kvitova. In overall ELO rating, she's number seven. In terms of yearly ELO rating right now, Petra Kvitova sitting at, where is Petra Kvitova in yearly ELO rating? Number 30, so that's just off. She just hasn't played that number that many matches. But by clay court elo rating, I think it's going to surprise all of us to hear that Petra Kvitova, number four right now behind Simona Halep, Iga Sviantek, and Halep's only lost on clay in the past two years was to Sviantek. So it's Halep, Sviantek, Muguruza, And then Petra Kvitova, your number four clay court ELO rating player right now, according to Tennis Abstract. You look at the numbers right now. Kvitova, number 10 by, or let's see, via hold percentage in the WTA stats leaderboard. Kvitova, number 11 right now in the last 52 weeks by hold percentage. Petra Kvitova by break percentage. Uh, Let's see where she is as a returner right now. Petra Kvitova, number 11 by break percentage as well. I guess it does make sense. You look at that record 15 and 4 for her on clay since 2019. Yeah, it doesn't strike out because of course, you know, her power on when she plays on a grass court, we've seen her rip off hard court victories as well. It just makes sense that that power tends on hard court, but Her power applies to clay court tennis as well. It's why she's so special, because it doesn't matter the surface. When she plays her best, she can hit anyone off the court. Great win for her straight sets. Really high-level match between Brady and Kvitova. Uh, I actually quickly last note on these. I do have the stats from this match. You look for Petra Kvitova overall. She hits 27 winners against 25 unforced errors. Brady, 14 winners against 20 unforced errors. This was just really, really good tennis, and now Kvitova going to have an exciting match tomorrow as she's going to take on Maria Sakkari. Sakkari won so comfortably in her first round, and again, such a limited sample size as I mentioned yesterday for her on play, so excited to see her face the Petra Kvitova test. But quickly, just in terms of some of the other results we saw in Stuttgart, again, Kvitova, straight sets over Brady, Alexandrova, three sets over Mukova. You also had straight set wins from Annette Kantave over Miedendorf, two and three, great start to her clay court season. Sabalenka, sabalenka uh, a two and two win for her over Shui Zhang, freed someone, two and oh over Ikeri, and then Sigamund, a six four three six six one win over Bartel. That sets up tomorrow's action. We've got a couple of barn burners on our hand. First career matchup between 2020 French Open finalist Sonia Kennan and Annette Conteve. That's again, Conteve, the litmus test. If you can beat her, you can probably win the tournament you're playing. If you can't beat her, uh, you're not going to make the quarterfinals. And so going to be interesting to see Kennan, who has struggled this season, no doubt about that. But, you know, Conteve doesn't have that big weapon. And if you don't have that big weapon to take time away from Ken. And if you let her get into her playbook, uh, it's as deep a playbook as anyone in the women's game. And so that promises to be a fun physical match. Ditto, by the way, for the Buzkova-Vondrusova round of 16 battle. Buzkova 1-0 in her career against Vondrusova. But of course, we're on the clay court now. And Vondrusova, 2019 French Open finalist, she's going to want to do some good things here over the next few months. The last one would be Sakari Kvitova. 2-2 career head to Head. Soccery won their one matchup on clay courts. Uh, Kavitova had to retire down 4 0 in the third set. But, you know, again, both of them entered this match in outstanding form. Via tennis abstract, let's look. Maria Sakari, you look by yearly uh, ELO. She's number 10 in the 2021 season by ELO rating, number 13 in overall ELO. You look for her by clay court ELO. A little bit lower than that. Maria Sakari right now sitting at number 20 in clay court elo rating i think she's a little bit better than that so again she's facing the number four clay court elo player in petra kavitova two top 20 elo rating players in a round of 16 match It's all we can ask for as tennis fans so that is your set of matches on uh Wednesday in Stuttgart, should also mention Barty going to take on Siegeman, Kerber going to take on Gorgodza, and then Pliskova, who's number five, by the way, <clears throat> excuse me, in tennis abstracts, ELO rating, going to play Korpatz as well, that's what's going down in uh, Stuttgart, Let's move on now and talk a little bit about the action in Istanbul. It's still a very high-quality field despite the plethora of top 20, top 30 players in Stuttgart. You look here in Istanbul. We did have an upset on the day, although you look at Tennis Abstract's ELO rating. This was a matchup between two of the top 12 ELO-rated players in the world right now as unseeded Fiona Farrow, who currently, via the WTA rankings, is at a new career high, I believe. Fiona Farrow, or excuse me, near her career high. She's currently number 53, her career high number 39. Uh, the 24-year-old French woman earns a straight-set victory, 7-5, 6-2, over number two seed Petra Martic. I mentioned those ELO ratings. Martic right now, uh, number nine in ELO rating. Fiona Farrow, number 11, excuse me, in clay court ELO rating. And you can understand why. For Fiona Farrow, she won the title last year in Palermo to kick off the post-pandemic play. You look for her over the last 52 weeks overall on clay. She's 9-1. You know, she got the win over Conteve, over Georgie, over Alexandrova, over Podorowska. At the French Open, she beat Robachana again before losing in three sets to Sonia Kennan. Makes sense that she would be the number 11 Evo player in the world. By the way, expect a tweet from me at some point on Wednesday, sharing this information with the rest of the tennis world. You look for her career in clay court matches. She's 130 and 88. You want to narrow that down to tour level specifically. She's 36 and 22 in her career on clay matches. That, uh, you know, is pretty much the exact opposite of her 26 and 33 record in uh, career hard court matches. You look at what's more effective for her in the clay court matches. She just, you know, her first serve a little bit more effective. Her second serve three percent more effective she wins about a half percentage point more of her return points although I will point out she's made 64 percent of her first serves in clay court matches uh 60% 60% of her first serves in hardcourt matches. First serve percentage has nothing to do with surface, and so some of these numbers might be a little superficial. And if you listen to this podcast, you know I'm high on Fiona Farrow regardless of surface. I think her athleticism, her movement, her ability to change direction, her sneaky pop, it reminds me, I've said this before, it, it, it's like Alejandro David Foquina or Tommy Paul on the men's side. She just can do a little bit of everything, doesn't have overwhelming size, but does have a well-rounded game. She just, you know, again, she handled the variety of Martic that backhand slice, so well. She was patient. She waited for her opportunities to attack. She made 61% of her first serves in this match, won 69% of her first serve points, saved six of the eight break points she faced and converted five of her 10 own break points. I mean, yeah, she just, she had bigger weapons. She was more disciplined, and she moved as well as Petra Martic on clay, which is not an easy thing to do. Martic deserves to be a top 15 clay court player by Elo rating but you know again Martage has not had a lot of success of and you could feel that towards the end of that first set Faro has had a ton of success she continues to her ascension she belongs in the top 50 of the rankings and again expect her to make some deep runs here during the clay court portion of the year Someone who's already made a deep run in the clay court portion of the year, Veronica Kudermatova, who continues her win streak. She was the winner in the first week of Charleston. She has now won one, two, three, four, five, six matches in a row, as she, uh, seven matches in a row, excuse me, as she knocks off Bernarda Pera, seven six in the third to advance here in Istanbul. Bernarda Pera, I've talked about this before. I just want to talk about her last 52 weeks. She's played 22 matches. She's 6-16. Six and 16. You look overall, how many of those have been three-set matches of her 22? 15 of her 22 have gone three sets. She's 3-12 in those three-set matches. I mean, three-set losses to Sariya Beztormo, to Sakari, to Yastremska, to Kudermatova, to Sinyakova, to Serena Williams in Lexington. She's right on the cusp, but you can feel whenever you get into those tight moments. I mean, the tiebreaker 7-4 Kudermatova just felt like Kudermatova made so many more first serves uh, down the home stretch, despite the fact that Veronica Kudermatova struggled immensely on-serve in this match, you look at the numbers, Kudemitova only made 43% of her first serves. Now, she won over 50% of her service points, but only 43% of your first serves, you're leaving yourself just open to be attacked. Now, the problem for Bernarda Pera, she was 17 of 47 on her own second serve points, and despite making two-thirds of her first serves, just you know when Kudermatova is able to play first strike tennis, Kudermatova generally won the point in this match. But Parra throws a lot of variety at you. Tricky lefty changes direction, keeps you uncomfortable in uncomfortable positions on the court. Fifteen of her twenty-two matches have gone three sets. Three and twelve and th- like I, I can't. I'm sorry for repeating that stat. That's just that's just bad luck. Like that 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 sucks. I don't I don't have better term for you. That's you know. That, that's Bernardo Perez on she's right on the cusp you just imagine she wins one of those and what that will do for her confidence moving forward but kuter Matova I talked about her so much in her run versus Charleston her game makes sense regardless of surface as well she's just so athletic moves the ball around the court well can hit through the court comfortable moving forward uh, yes she can get overwhelmed by pace and yes her backswing can get a little big but now we're on clay court so that's okay you have that extra split second great victory for for her to advance to the round of 16. You look at the other results on the day. Martich was the only seed upset. Krejcikova dropped a tricky first set against uh, an informed Buyakatsai, Katsai, but Krejcikova, 6-7, 6-2, 6-love victory. Elise Mertens, two-in-love victory for the number one seed. Over Aruba Rorena, Kasichina, one-in-love victory for the two-time title winner here in 2021. Over Mrideza, your other wins on the day, Marta Kostyuk. Who had COVID earlier this season, still bouncing back, now gets her uh, a big win for her round of 30, uh, four straights. I went, excuse me, over a young Rakimova. You also had wins from Kiki Modenovich, Sarana Kurstea, and Anna Bug, uh, Anna Bug then, and uh, Vera Zavanareva, who got a tricky 6 3 6 3 first round win. Over Polona Herzog. That was your Tuesday action in Istanbul. In terms of the matches we have set for Wednesday, you got five round of sixteen battles. It's going to be some fun ones. Zorana uh, Diaz taking on Kaya Kanepi, Marta Kostyuk taking on Daria Kassim. Kina. That's a really fun litmus test for Kostiuk. How ready is she to return to the top level of competition? kasikina has been so good this season. And of course, Clay Courts, the surface she had the most success on early in her career. So it's going to be interesting to see how her confidence, how her level translates against a higher level of competition here on the dirt. You've also got uh, Potapova, the talented young Russian versus and Sinyakova taking on Mladenovic. Then Anakonya taking on Chung Wang. Uh uh, of course, Ana Konya, one of the breakthrough stars of Miami, uh, 1000 level event in a former world junior number one. She's what, like 22 and 11 now, I believe, in her last 52 weeks. I believe Chung Wang's like 4 and 8. In her last 52 weeks, Wang might be the number eight seed. Konya, the money line favorite. Uh, I think she not only could win this match, but again, look, be on the lookout for her. She could absolutely win this tournament, go on a deep run here at some of these events. One of these events uh, during the clay court season would be really fun to watch her match up with either Kostiuk or Kasikina in the quarterfinals, and that would be her potential matchup. But those are your matches set for tomorrow in Istanbul. And again, that is your look at Tuesday's results on the WTA Tour. Hey, Cracked fans. As winter slowly turns into spring and all of us look forward to getting back on the outdoor tennis courts, we here at Crack Rackets want to ensure that you listeners have everything you need to make sure your return to outdoor tennis is a successful one. That's where our friends at Gamma Sports come in. Now, if you need new strings, new grips, new court equipment, ball hoppers, machine tools, and accessories, whatever it may be, our friends at Gamma have it all for you. They've also, of course, got dampeners, over grips, replacement grips. They've got it all. And if you go to their website, GammaSports.com tennis right now, you use our promo code CRACK20, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, I know Gamma has a new string pattern in the queue called the React Pro which all of you gamma String users will enjoy. And even if you're not using Gamma Strings, maybe now's the time to start. But they've also got polyesters, everything you could be looking for from a tennis equipment standpoint, all in one location. Just go to GammaSports.com tennis right now. Use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order. Again, GammaSports.com tennis. Use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order. Let's talk now about some of the ATP results we saw unfold on Tuesday. We'll start in Barcelona at the 500 level event. We had a mix of round of 32 and round of 64 matches. In terms of the seeds who competed in their round of 32 matches, only Karen Hatchinoff was knocked off on the day. You look for Cam Nori, who is one of the breakthrough stars, I think we can all agree, of the early hardcourt portion of the season. He earns a 6 4 3-6, three, six, six, 3 victory over Hachinov for Nori, 23-15 uh, and 15 now in his last 52 weeks, up to number 58 in the rankings, entering the week with his victory, Nori now up to number 55 in the live rankings, one more win by the way, would get him inside the ATP top 50, which is where he belongs, you look at ELO ratings right now, uh, on Tennis Abstract, Cam Nori currently via ELO rating, let's see where he- He is at number 55 by ELO. You look for him as a clay court ELO. He is not going to be uh, in the top 50, maybe not even a top 100 ELO rated player. We'll get into that momentarily, but you look for him just this season Cam Nori number thirty by yearly Elo that does feel about right. You look for him here in this season. Nori now fourteen and seven overall. You look at what he's done. He made you know semifinals, Delray Beach, third round Australian Open, comes through qualifying for the round of sixteen in Rotterdam, quarterfinals Acapulco, win over Nishioka and Dimitrov before losing in three to Fritz in Miami. He just. You know, I don't think he, he hasn't lost a first round he's lost one first round match this year it was the Australian Open warm up three set loss for him to Tommy Paul that's not a bad loss by any stretch of the imagination he's just such a tough out moves the ball so well around the court at 25 years old clearly has entered the physical prime of his career just in command and you know the physical the mental sides of the game they seem to have matched up with one another and so uh, you know, today against Hatchinoff, he just was the more dynamic of the two players Hachinov just looks so lost on court And you look for him He's 22-17 and 17 in his last 52 weeks uh, Three of those wins Came in a warm-up event For the Australian Open But, you know, he's lost two in a row now You look at his losses They're all tough losses Losses to Nori, Busta, Sinner Ebden, Evdin, Pass, Berrettini, Sinner, Davidovich, Fokina, Dimitrov, Evans. You look for Hatchinov. Again, I mentioned 22 and 17. Let's just look at the results. In his 17 losses... How many of them have gone uh, three sets in their three matches? Of the 17 three set uh, losses he's had, you know, or of the 17 losses, 10 of them have been in three set matches, I believe. Of those 10, one of them were seven, six, and third against Yannick Sinner earlier this year, but he's played a bunch of tiebreakers that haven't gone his way either. He's one in four in tiebreakers in these three set matches. It's just like physically, it's all still there. The movement works, the size works, the serve, the forehand, they can be weapons, but he just looks lost on court. He just, you know, sometimes he wants to hit that out wide forehand, the inside-out, inside-out, inside-in combo, but then he gets a little overly aggressive. Or sometimes he'll hit through the backhand, but then even if he's winning a up. A rally going in the backhand cross court. He'll mix in a slice because he thinks that's what he should do, mix in variety when he doesn't need to. He just looks a little bit lost. But again, you look at the percentages in this match. Nori, 64% across the board. He won 64% of his first serves, uh, or made 64% of his first serves, won 64% of the points, won 64% of his second serve points, was, three of, uh, was 2 of 4 on his break point chances, got the one break he needed in set 1 and set 3, was able to protect Protect his serve the rest of the way I mean that's just a that's a good match for uh and and then I think he got one additional break by the way uh they traded breaks I think in the first set to be honest but I mean look again Nori was more dynamic, moved the ball so well around the court, a much needed clay court win for him to kick things off. You look for Cam Norrie in his career uh, on clay court matches across levels. He's only 20 and 21. You look for him in ATP level matches, 12 and 23. Although, you know, again, two wins here to kick off his campaign in Barcelona with the win over Caruso, the win over Hatchnov He played Daniel Galan in last year's French Open to a five set match, you know, he's getting better on clay, clearly, and with more repetitions, one imagines he's only going to improve from here. Great victory for him over hatchinov for him to advance to the round of 16 where now he's going to face David Goffin as Goffin was one of your seeded players earning a win on the day. He gets a straight set win over Huzerber. Your other seeded winners, Yannick Sinner, looked great in a bounce back 3-2 and two win over Igor then Denis Shapovalov. Good 3-5 and five win to kick off his clay court campaign over Jeremy Shardy and then Roberto Bautista go down an early break. But just running forehands, he hits running forehands until you die, until you bleed. 4-0 victory for him over Pablo Andujar. Uh, Again, I'm telling you, Bautista Goots playing the best tennis of his career right now. Is that tennis good enough to win a Grand Slam? I don't know. But it's good enough to beat someone in a round of 16, in a quarterfinal. He just, I mean, we've seen it in his past few results, right? In Doha, in uh, Miami, all across the board. He's just such a tough out physically. Uh, and on clay court, he's going to be a nightmare for a bunch of opponents. So great result for him again to kick things off for no win over Pablo Andahar. You look at the round of 64 matches. I've said it once. I'm going to say it again. The best surface for Francis Tiafo right now is clay courts and you know you look for Tiafo who has gotten better especially of late on the hard courts also and the percentages have started to even out but you look for him in his career ATP level matches on clay versus on hard courts Francis Tiafo 13 and 21 on clay versus 58 and 70 on hard courts. So by win percentage, he's actually a little bit worse on clay, but you in that out to include across levels. He's 134 and 108 on hard courts, 66 and 40 on clay. So 55% career win percentage on hard courts, 62% on clay. I've said it before, I'll say it again. It's because the extra half second affords him either A, a little bit more time to work that big forehand backswing, or B, just again, run him, uh, use his feet to get around the ball, put himself in an aggressive position, and just... He's so good at making matches physical. And that's what he did today in a 6-4, 7-6 victory over Carlos Alcaraz. And, you know, that Carlos Alcaraz forehand was the most explosive shot on the court, which is a testament to just how damn good the young 17-year-old Spaniard is. But for Alcaraz, he just, you know... Tiafo made the match physical. He tracked down that first big forehand that Alcaraz would hit and would hit that ball to the open space. Alcaraz so aggressive at hitting inside out, inside out, inside in forehands on that ad side of the court. Tiafo did such a good job, A, on the ad side, hitting the big kick serve out wide. And even when Alcaraz would run around that shot to hit a forehand, just hitting that first ball to all of that open space on the deuce side of the court. And then Tiafo does a great job following that ball in when he gets that first shot deep enough in the court. If he doesn't, he does a great job of playing pattern tennis. I think his, you know, the backhand wing, his ability to absorb redirect pace there, uh, that's his more proficient, that's his more solid of the two ground stroke wings. And, you know, he did such a good job of getting that backhand cross court, did such a good job on the deuce side return, hitting that return inside in to force Alcaraz to either hit a really tough first inside out, inside in, forehand, or have to hit a backhand to begin the rally. And then, you know, Tiafo goes down an early break in the second, but he just hangs around. Again, he makes so many points physical. He tracks down that extra ball, hit a ridiculous on the run forehand passing shot to earn the double break lead, which he ended up needing. In that first set, and you look for Francis Tiafoe here in this match. Only made 50 percent of his first serves, but won 71 percent of those points. 62 percent of his second serve points. When he was able to play first strike and get that ball to you know deep in the court to Alcaraz, he won. Uh, he he held Alcaraz to 13 of 30 on the Alcaraz second serve. Tiafoe's just damn good right now, and you look for him now in the live rankings, Francis Tiafo up to number 64, which is far off of his career high of number 29, but... Trending in the right direction. You look for Tiafo now uh, over his last 52 weeks in total. 23 in 14. You want to look in ATP level matches specifically. He's 17 and 13 coming off of the round of 16 in uh, Miami to follow that up with a big win here over a very much informed Alcaraz. And again, Alcaraz was right there. And I think the fact that he lost this match because of Tiafo's physicality. What's the one thing you can teach every ten- tennis players, you know, who's 17 years old is how to fill out their body, how to fill out their frame, gain muscle, become more physical within your matches, be more disciplined, you know, not feel the need to go after so many inside out, inside in forehands felt like Alcaraz made at least 15 forehand shank errors trying to go for something, a ridiculous forehand on the ad side of the court. But again, it's a credit to Tiafa, who plays high percentage tennis in this match, who did such a good job of just getting that first ball deep in the court to not let Alcaraz, you know, just tee off on his forehand wing. And it felt like Alcaraz was almost afraid to hit his patented drop shot because he was, you know, afraid to test Tiafo's speed because Tiafo did such a good job of tracking down and forcing Alcaraz to hit that extra ball within rallies. I just continue to be more and more impressed by Francis Tiafo, who, you know, it's, it's crazy to think because he's been a part of our lives for so long, if you're an American tennis fan, since his breakthrough what was it? I mean Orange Bowl when he beat Kozlov when they were both fifteen or you know, junior slam success, or whether it's just his big breakthrough at the challenger level when he was young, just riding with his early years at the ATP level. But he's only twenty three years old and he's clearly getting better with every passing season. I think that's the thing you're most impressed with because clearly athletically his ceiling is as high as any player on tour, but You know, his backhand, his creativity, his first serve's a weapon. And then he continues to just get better and better on that forehand wing. It's becoming less and less of a vulnerability. I was so impressed with this victory over Alcarez. Again, he just made them—he just extended rallies. uh, throughout this match, which is what you need to do when you're playing a 17-year-old. Great victory for Tiafo to advance here uh, to the round of 16. In terms of your other three-set matches, fun match between Jordan Thompson and Richard Gasquet was Thompson 7-6-4, 6-7-6. Also, a three-set victory for Sasha Bublik over Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, 2-6-7-5-6-2. Davidovich Fokina came out striking, played such... uh, aggressive first strike tennis and kept Bublik on his back foot and did a really good job of just getting clean contact on the Bublik serve and just using his return to get the point back to neutral, but man, Bublik kept fighting. And again, that first serve wasn't going anywhere, and he just continued to be aggressive. In the five all game, in that second set, he actually broke Davidovich Fokina. Davidovich Fokina was up 40 love. Bublik unloads on this forehand return for 40 15. A couple of loose errors. All of a sudden, it's deuce. And then Bublik got the break. And once he gets a break, it's pretty difficult to break the man. And so he holds, and then just kind of wore Davidovich Fokina down with, again, his relentless power, his relentless aggression, his variety. Sasha Bublik's just good. Like, it's not a fluke. He is a top... 50 guy for sure, top 40, top 30 guy. He's just going to be in the mix for a while because that serve just affords him opportunities to take chances in matches. And as he gains more experience, as he becomes whatever the version of discipline can be for Sasha Bublik, uh, it's going to be really fun to follow his career. So big win for him. Uh, In terms of your other results, Quarantine Moutet, straight set win over Dom Koffer. Nice win for the lefty Frenchman. Lorenzo Musetti just too much class, too much too dynamic of a game, four, too much too athletic. He knocks off Feliciano Lopez 4 and 3 and then finally Albert Ramos-Vinolas physical 6 7 6 1 7 6 win over world junior number 1 Holger Rune who I don't know if he's quite ready for the ATP level. David Gertler always says, "Oh, why does Rune get all of the wild cards?" That's not my David Gertler voice and that's not how what I think when he talks, but you know whatever. I, I just the point being, uh, wild cards are what they are. That's why I say that. Although in this instance, Holger Garune came through qualifying. I suppose he did get a qualifying wild card, but he made the most of it. Uh, but Albert ramos is just, again, t- such a tough out physically uh, on a clay court. He made that match physical, earns the victory to advance to the round of 32, which is what we have on our hands on Wednesday. Tons of round of 32 action in Barcelona. Top seed Rafael Nadal, going to kick off his campaign against Ilya Ivashka. Haomi Munar taking on Stefano Tsitsipas. That was maybe the best first-round uh, match in the men's singles draw last year at the French Open. Tsitsipas ended up defeating Munar in five. Both guys have had so much success on clay courts over the past few seasons. Tsitsipas, obviously, coming off of the Monte Carlo title. But Munar finalisted in Marbella, what, five challenger finals on clay since August uh, I think he's number 22 in tennis abstracts. Clay, I don't think I know he's number 22 in clay in tennis abstracts. Clay court Elo rating. Tsitsipas right now number three behind just Djokovic and team. And this is one of the matches I wrote about on our website, crackedrackets.com. So even if the match has already been played, maybe you want to read more about these guys. Munar, uh, Tsitsipas, that's one to watch. Schwartzman, Tiafo, you had me at hello. Musetti, FAA. There's going to be a lot of smack talk on Twitter after this match, whether it's pro or anti-FAA. It just feels like he's in that stage. It's like, you know, this is a Ryan Rosillo point, but at some point, tennis fans, we always sour on these ascending young champions. Sometimes they bring it upon themselves, case in point, Alex Vera. Of everyone who soured on him, it's deservedly so, but... The honeymoon phase was so quick for FAA. We get so excited about these young guys, about their potential. It feels like now all I ever hear about is what FAA doesn't do well instead of all the records he's set thus far in his young career. Musetti's the hotter young prospect right now, right? He's had the flashier results, his challenger and ATP success newer, and thus perhaps more exciting for us tennis fans. But FAA's got the bigger weapons in this match. It's a match he really should win. But, you know, just because Musetti wants to be six feet behind the baseline, wants to let you be the aggressor. When you let FAA be the aggressor, that's the kiss of death. Uh, But it should be a really fun match because creativity and then just his athleticism. Musetti doesn't get overwhelmed the way you think he does. His one handed backhand is so, so solid. He's so good on the move, so good at turning defense to offense. So that's going to be a fantastic match. You've also got PCB versus Thompson, Fonini versus Pata Morales, Christian Guerin taking on K. Nishi Corey. That's a match, if Guerin should be, is going to be taken seriously at the French Open, he needs to beat Nishi Corey tomorrow. Nishi Corey coming off with a 7 6 third set victory. I know he had a day off, but just given their Recent form, how little Nishikori has played, how great Garen has been on clay court since 2019. It's a match Garen you know should win and needs to win if he wants everyone to take him as seriously as a contender to make quarterfinal type run at the French Open. Your other singles matches: Manurino, Ramos, Vanolas, Dimenauer, Bublik, and Mute Evans. That's your matches set for Barcelona. In Belgrade, the action continues as well, and we're going to see Topsy Novak Djokovic kick off his campaign tomorrow, but let's first talk about the results we saw unfold on Tuesday. A uh, couple of three-set matches, you know, Eliad Badene, big victory for him, 7-5, 1-6, 7-6 over Sebastian Corda. Sebastian Corda served for the match up 5-4, had a couple of match points in that third set, but just Badene got him extended to the outer thirds, and for Corda right now, it reminds me of young Stefano Sitsipas. Stefano Sitsipas only 22, but I'm talking about like 2019, uh, 2018 Stefano Sitsipas, when he was the same age Korda is now, where he's just a little stiff in the outer thirds of the court. And if you can get Korda on his back foot, get him to play a little bit of defense, what does plan B look like for Sebastian Corda? And it's a really good problem to have because Korda does flash, again, better athletics than when I talked to. He's Tom- Tomas Burdich with Shakira's hips, right? There's a little bit more fluidity there than Burdich ever had, but still trying to find those gears. Sometimes he hits a little too big out of those corners. A couple of forehand errors on break points is what gave Badene the breaks he needed. But gear one for Sebastian Quarter looks really good. And again, he had two match points. He was right there in this match. And he's only 20 years old and is still so early in the sample size of ATP-level matches we've seen him play it. And the sample, you know, it's a resounding success. Yeah, he lost this match. It was a physical match. He was right there. And again... You know, total points, it's a lopsided quarter victory uh, by results here. Quarter total points, he had 118, to Badenes, 111. He won 68% of his first serve points on a 66% made first serve percentage. Uh, you know, saved eight of the 11 break points he faced versus uh, converting uh, four of the 12. So, you know, he converted four of 12, Badene converted three of 11 break point chances. And just quarter was right there. Probably should have won this match. Had two match points, but part of the, the process of growing, part of the growth curve these young players face is... Is that meant the same thing? I apologize. Is winning these tight matches and again, a loss like this long term probably beneficial for Sebastian Corda? There's a lot of clay court tennis to play. Would he have loved to win it? Absolutely. Would we have loved to see him win it? Absolutely. But credit to Badené, who got Corda stretched, who was aggressive with his first strike when the opportunity presented itself. He did enough to advance to the round of 32. Your other three set matches, ugh. I mean, these are two players I've grown quite fond of here early in this 2021 season. Alexi Popperin really didn't have any business knocking off Francisco Surrendolo today. Surrendolo had big break leads, excuse me, in both the second and third sets. But credit to Popperin, that serve, that forehand, they just work. And he earns a 4 6, 7 6, 7 6 victory. Over Sir Rindolo to advance to the uh, round of 16. A much needed Clay Court victory for Alexei Paparin, the former junior French Open champion, really still has played not too many ATP level matches on Clay Court. You look for him in this match, uh, made 68% of his first serves, won 67% of those points, saved 8 of the 12 breakpoint chances he faced, and just Again, continued to find a way to scrap his way through. And you look for Serendolo, his numbers were better or equal across the board. He made 75% of his first serves to Popperin's 68. He won 57% of his second serve points to Popperin's 45. He won 63% of his service points to Popperin's 60%. He won 126 total points to Popperin's 122. His backhand was what allowed him to earn early leads in sets two and three because it was just the more dynamic of the two players. The serves, the forehands were relatively awash in this match, although I will say Popperin probably earned a few more free points with his first serve than Serendolo did, but Serendolo does such a good job of setting up his first strike with his forehand, with his serve placement, that again, just with the construct of these clay courts, it was a relative wash, but just this is the manifestation. Paparin, uh the the Singapore champion, has been so successful of late. In the biggest moments, he just kept swinging through. And you could tell Serendolo, even though he made an ATP final in the South American stretch, just got a little bit tight in the big moments of this match. And again, it was a really fun uh, tennis match. A lot of hard hitting. A lot of first strike tennis. I think both of these guys are going to be staples in the top 100 for years to come. But credit to Alexi Popperin. Seven six, eight six tiebreaker, by the way, in that third set to advance to the round of sixteen. Your other winners on the day, Del three sets over Barankis, and then straight set wins for Taro Daniel, Jean luc Major, Miomir Kasmenovic, six and six over Lefty Fasundo Bagnis, Sunwu Kwan. I was talking to Super uh two. I suppose, former doubles, uh, my former doubles partner, excuse me, my doubles partner, partner in crime, former uh, longtime host and still co-host of The Great Shot Podcast, Maxwell LeBauer Rothman. And we were talking about the underdogs yesterday, Quan was an underdog. I believe Tiafo was an underdog. I believe Bublik was an underdog and I believe Rothman hit on all three. It was the day of the underdogs. And I'm telling you, Quan, we talked about him a few weeks ago. He's played fewer than, I think like the matches he won a few weeks ago were his first two ATP level matches in Marbella, I believe it was, on clay courts. But I I just think his game's going to work. An aggressive baseliner who moves well. Like, you have a recipe for success on clay courts. And so, you know, Carbeas Benia just didn't have a big enough weapon to hurt him. And Carbez Benia had played a ton of tennis of late. Challenger title win last week. Had to play qualies. Lost final round of qualies and was actually a lucky loser into uh, this week's event. But, you know, Quan made the most of the draw. Straight set win for him and then hell of a win for qualifier former Texas A&M All-American Arthur Rinderneck, 6175 victory for him to advance to the round of 32 to set up Tomorrow's matches, we've got four round of 16 matches on our hands in Belgrade. It's going to be Rinderneck versus Kesmenovic, Djokovic versus Sun Kwon. That should be a fun one. Cechinatto Berrettini, the battle of the Italians, and then Krajinovic versus Miljovic. That's a match I have upset alert. Nikola Miljovic, in my opinion has just been better of late than Filip Krajinovic. Now, 2017-2018, Philip Karanovic was ripping through ATP challengers on clay. And, you know, Nikola Milovic is really only just now starting to have a bunch of success on clay courts at the challenger level. But I just, this is an eye test thing. This is a recent result thing. I think Milovic has just been better. And he, easy straight set, first round win for him. For Karanovic, needed two and a half sets. Probably should have lost that match after he blew his lead against Trevoglia. I'm leaning Miljovic tomorrow, but again, I think that's going to be a really fun match and overall should be a fantastic day of tennis in Belgrade as the ATP Tour uh, continues to deliver the goods so far this week. All right, I'm not going to lie. This podcast got away from me, did not expect to do an hour monologue today. Of course, that's half the fun here at Cracked Rackets and the luxury to be able to do that. A testament to you listeners, to our Cracked Rackets Patreon family, to our friends at Midwest Sports. But I have our final count. You look overall on the day. There were 10 matches in Tallahassee. Eight of them go three sets, and I can't recap all of them because then this podcast will go six hours, and we're going to have David Gertler on Thursday's Great Shop Podcast to talk about all of these results in depth, but... Rapid fire edition of them. Let's start with Jensen Brooksby. Three set win over fellow talented young American Martin Dom. 6 7 6 1 6 2. 13 11 tiebreak victory for Dom in that first set. Given the fact that Brooksby won the challenger in Orlando last week, had like 24 hours to transition between hard courts and green clay, could have completely understand if after an emotional, physical first set, he just threw in the towel and let that match get away from him. Instead, did the exact opposite. Sunk his teeth into the match. You know, not the most natural mover, but that again, that length just. He just works. His game works. He's just a baller. If I was to describe Jensen Brooksby's game style, I would just say baller. He moves the ball so well around the court, so disciplined. The serve's only going to get better. Uh, I really liked Martin Dom's game. Uh, Big lefty, still so young, only going to get better, only going to develop and fill out his frame more physically. He looks to play aggressive, but he's a comfortable mover for someone his size as well. That was a really fun match, but man. What a win from Brooksby. Three sets, he advances. So happy for my guy, Ty Quietkowski. 3-6, 7-6, 6-3 win over one of my other guys, Mitchell Kruger, but that was a much-needed win for Ty, and that match got physical down the home stretch. It got tentative as both of those guys were searching for victories, but just a fun clay court match, and again, uh, good tennis all the way around. Good. funky but fun match for Bjorn for Tangelo 766776 he wins over Ivo Ivo Karlovic not a single break of serve in that match but I mean, Bjorn's a top 100 guy, in my opinion, right now. I've made the case before, wins in Cleveland, good run for him last week in Orlando. I just think, especially now as we enter the clay court season, as if he can stay healthy, he can just do a little bit of everything, and you need big weapons to hurt him. Karlovich had that big weapon, but for Tangelo just buckled down, didn't get flustered despite you know the lack of breakpoint opportunities, despite you know, the lack of an opportunity to really get a rhythm when you're playing someone with the game style of Karlovic. Nevertheless, great three-set victory for him. You know, Kudla, three sets over Rybakov. That match was ecstatic. Jung, three sets over Sok. Sock stumbled as he was up a set and a break in that second set. He won the first set 6-2, and, you know, uh, from there, Jung just kind of made the match physical, kept getting sock extended in the outer thirds of the court and just his movement wore down as the match went on but credit to Jason Jung for playing the sort of match you have to play when you see your opponent is worn down. You also had three set victories from uh, Christian Janau over Popko, Ryan Harrison, three set match over Donald Young. That was an incredibly physical battle and then uh, Alex Richard comes back from a set and a breakdown I believe 4-6-6 4-6-3 win over Renzo Olivo. Your straight set results on the day, Menenez, straight sets over Roberto Sin and Watanuki, a straight set win over Filati. that sets up tomorrow's action in Tallahassee, round of 16 matches, you've got Mina versus Schner, Harrison versus Moe, and you lean heavy Michael Moe, they're just how physical that match was for Ryan Harrison today. If Jensen Brooksby has anything left in the tank, his match with Thiago Sabethville should be really, really exciting. But you could see a world where Sabethville just kind of gets a worn down Brooksby and hits his way through them. You've also got Sakamoto taking on Mikhail Torpegard. That's your singles action in Tallahassee. In terms of your other two challengers, uh, we've got hard courts in Ecuador. It was a fun match between L2, Chelik Bellic, and JC Aragoni. Chelik Bellic, a 6-2-7-6 victory in the college tennis battle. You had Aziz Dugas 2-2 two two, over Skander Manzuri. Uh, rough day for the college players. TCU's Nick Chapel falling to Roberto Ortega-Almedo. USC's Emilio Gomez, your number three seed. A three-set loss to Hernan Casanova uh, as well. Number one seed Yasutaka Uchiyama knocked off by big serving Tim Van Rochevin. Did I not say on yesterday's podcast that upset? I said upset alert. The upset ends up happening. Uh, Tim Van Rochevin with the victory. Uh, in terms In terms of your matchups tomorrow, round of 16 matchups, four of them. You've got Sigiguchi versus Nicolas Jerry, Tiago Tarante versus Kevin King, Adrian Menendez Maciara versus Chris Eubanks, and Camilio Ugo Carabelli taking on Takun Wong. Uh, So should be a fun day of action in Ecuador. And then in Rome, your results on the day. Number one seed, Gregoire Barrer knocked off by Guido Andrazi, 6476. Number eight seed, Steven Diaz knocked off by Andrea Pellegrino in three sets. Good win for Tanasi Kakanakis, the cock, a 6-2-6-4 win over Jay Clark. He's just been a tough out over these past few weeks on the clay courts, and then your other winners on the day, Zepieri, Emers, Stakowski, Marcora, uh Lorenzi, and Lamassine. In terms of the matches, set for tomorrow in Rome, and again, I haven't had the chance to watch Rome that closely, but we'll Definitely be doing so tomorrow as we've got Andrazi versus Emer, talented young Czech, Vit Kapriva, who our newest Crack Rackets contributor, Damian Kust, right about on our website, taking on number two seed Hugo Delian. You've also got Lorenzi versus Lamassine, Giustino versus Horansky, and Mokan. Offner, you've also got, by the way, Marcora versus Varias, Tomic versus Bemomans. Should be a fun day of action Wednesday across the professional tennis world. But that'll do it for your recap of all of Tuesday's action. Again, I apologize. Did not expect to have an hour of tennis to talk about. But that just speaks to the tennis, right? What do you do? When there's too much tennis happening across the tennis world, you podcast about it for an hour to get all of your thoughts on the matches off of your chest. Of course, if any of you have any thoughts, please, as always, feel encouraged to reach out to us. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Flinger and Daniel Westoff, for the of any job they do day in, day out. Again, excuse me, be on the lookout for some challenger centric content Tuesday uh, Thursday, excuse me, on the Great Shout Podcast. You want to hear more about the college tennis world, you can check out today's episode with Matt Stakoyak and Chris Halliors. And as always, to catch up on everything in the pro tennis world, be sure to check out our website, crackedrackets.com. A shout out as always to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to Midwest Sports.com, use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order. Last thing for all of you listeners, one of the really cool things we get to do here at Cracked Rackets is have the opportunity to host USTA and UTR junior events, college level events for those aspiring young players across the country. We are so excited. And West Off. give me some sort of sound effect, please, uh, because we're going to be hosting the level one USTA national event happening, uh, I believe in what, three weeks or maybe it's the first week of May here in Indianapolis, I believe. Eve, the GOAT, Colette Lewis, is going to be coming down to Indy to cover the event. She's not going to get to cover the event because she's actually just going to be stuck in conversations with me for 36 consecutive hours or wait, that's not right, 72 consecutive hours, excuse me, It's. I suppose the play is only 12, yeah, I, I was factoring in we're going to spend 12 hours together watching the tennis all day, I love that we're saying we're going to spend 12 hours together, it's not going to be exactly like that, the point being uh, again, we are so excited to host that event, if you are someone who's going to be capable of playing that event please go sign up, if you are interested in following the event, whatever it may be have questions for us, again, feel free to reach out, but super excited to be hosting that event, shout out we bicker a lot, but its I think that might be a theme. I say this about Chris. I just like to bicker. I mean, you don't do this job unless you like a good argument, and it's never personal, but I always have to give love to Dalton Thiedemann, our Cracked racket CEO, the man who does pull all of the strings here at CR, and the man who makes an event like that possible. So shout out for him. Shout out to Jamie McDonald, uh, Daniel Westhoff. They all do so much work. For those sorts of events, it allows me the luxury to do this sort of stuff. Really excited to be able to host that event for all of you tennis playing tennis players and, of course, tennis fans across the country. But with that in mind, for super producers, Max Flegner and Daniel Westoff, for our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.